This is the On All Cylinders Podcast. Presented by Summit Racing. Your hosts for today are Summit Racing's Al Noe and Brian Nutter. With special guest, drag racing and automotive icon, Big Daddy Don Garlitz. Here we go. Today we are joined by a truly amazing racer and a true American success story. He perfected the rear engine top fuel dragster, has been a huge proponent of safety improvements in drag racing, and was the first drag racer to officially surpass 170, 180, 200, 240, and 270 miles per hour in the quarter mile. He won 10 American Hot Rod Association championships, four IHRA championships, and three NHRA championships, a total of 17 and he won a total of 144 national events. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with the one and only Big Daddy Don Garlitz. Don, thank you so much for joining us today. It is truly an honor for Brian and I to be here with you today. And I just can't thank you enough. How are you doing and how are things in Florida today? Well, it's a beautiful, balmy day down here and I'm doing just fine. Brian and I are super excited to talk to you today. And before we get into the questions, we'll get into those a little bit later, but we want to talk about your history. Your history is absolutely amazing. And I'd like to specifically have you talk about what was the the moment or the time when you were a young man and you said, I want to go drag racing. I'm going to go do that. And you started to build that first car. Could you talk about that in that moment when it all happened and you just said, I am absolutely going to go do that? Well, there wasn't any drag racing around here. Now they were drag racing in California, but I didn't know much about that. But a friend of mine had a round track car and I was a body and paint man. So we got it all lettered up and went out to the track and he won one of the early races, you know, one of the heats. So he got in one of the final heats that was going to put him into the big race. And one of the old guys just bumped him right over the wall and smashed it all up. And, of course, we were at a race then for the rest of the night. He's over there with a ball-peen hammer beating out the body and everything. I thought to myself, this isn't what I want to do. And so a few of my friends felt the same way. So we went up to Zephyr Hills, Florida, and got them to let us use the old abandoned Army Air Force training field. And that was our first drags at Zephyr Hills. It was about 18 of us, no clocks, everybody raced everybody, no class, and we had the time of our lives, and I knew I wanted the drag race. That's phenomenal. So really our entire speed industry was opening up at that time, uh, and you know, parts weren't as easily available as they are today. So you were building a lot of your own stuff, you know, had to work with your own fabrication skills, which evolved and, you know, working with friends that had ideas for, you know, building chassis and things. Can you tell us about the, the earlier days? Nobody made what you needed. You just had to make it yourself and try it and improve on it. Well, yeah, the original Swamp Rat that uh, broke the 170 mile an hour record was out of a 31 Chevy. Uh, you took all the cross members out, you took it all apart, and you put your own cross members in. We mounted a Ford rear end in it and hooked a Chrysler Hemi engine to it, a 1954 Chrysler Hemi. And uh, we went to the drags. And I mean, this was a winner right to start off with because that Chrysler engine was so powerful. You, you know, and, and something I want to remark uh, to all of the viewers here today, when they look at that machine, uh, and the thought of what you made it out of and the fact that a lot of cars back in that time, you know, were, you know, hard pressed to do 100, 100 and 510 and you're doing 170 miles an hour with something home built, very small, uh, not a lot of safety gear available at that time other than what, you know, the, the, the uh, airplane pilots had, of course, with the helmets and things. That's pretty amazing to strap into that thing and just let the thing go. 
Yeah, we had a, a seat belt out of a B-17, and a, what we called a skid lid was the helmet. It wasn't much of a protection. We drove those cars in T-shirts and uh, regular pants. Never thought about any fire or anything like that. So really, a lot of the safety industry was actually born out of uh, Florida. I can think of uh, you know some of the bigger companies there, just because I guess you were doing it and needed stuff for it. Don, next on our on our list today is uh, talking about your favorite race cars and your favorite innovations. Out of all the cars you've had, and there have been so many of them, are there any one or two or three that stick out and you say, that car was awesome. It was just the best car ever. Well, yeah. Well, Swampert 1 always is my number one favorite. The fuel delivery system, that volume of nitromethane into the engine that most of the guys didn't have. And that's how I was able to go 176 and then 180. Swampert uh, 22 was really a fancy car. That's a far over 250 miles an hour, 5.63 seconds. Of course, 26 was a car, was in the museum, was built in 1980. We brought it out and refurbished it in 1984, won the world finals, and we built Swampert 30, which is in the Smithsonian. And then, of course, Swampert 34, that was 323 miles an hour in 4.73 seconds. Most exciting ride of my life. Innovations, the big fuel up on Swampert 26 with the three port nozzles. Everybody thought I was nuts. I could tell right away that that was a good innovation to volume, trying to get more volume into the engine. Yeah, I mean, in the early times of nitromethane, I, I guess you guys were mixing you know relatively small percentages 15 20 and 30 and then i guess you guys just went whole hog with it you know you know can you tell me about that transition of experimenting with nitromethane to having it become the primary fuel well we always got 25 percent in the flathead you know and then we were afraid that you couldn't run much more than that because of the heat Cook at Bedwell, we're running 98%. Now, this is unblown engines. So we went to Cordova, and I just went right over to him, and I said, I can only get 25% nitro in my Hemi. Now, I understand that you get 98%. How do you do that? In one sentence, he rattled off all of the needle valves, jets, how much pressure, and it was just one sentence. And, of course, it was just like it went into my mind. It's like a steel trap, you know. I said, we got a lot of work to do. We got to get out of here. Took the six carburetors apart and modified them and outran him in the first round. They said, in all fairness to the world champion, we'll have to see that run again. And it outran him again. And uh, that was my big start in professional racing. I knew that you could beat the California cars because one of my friends here says, oh, you'll never be able to beat the Californians. And then I went up to Cordova and, and beat their best. It, it just gave me such an incentive, you know, and of course I was learning as I went along and I came back here and actually improved on the fuel system that he had and was able to break his record. He'd won 168 and we raised it to 176. So when people on the West Coast were running or you were running, you know, news didn't fly like it does today with the internet and live streaming and videos right there. What was it like back then trying to figure out who was doing what and, and where you were stacked up with everybody else? Believe it or not, the whole deal hinged on drag news. 
And I'll tell you, we couldn't get our hands on it fast enough. They did a wonderful service back in those days covering all the drag racing. So, Don, let's talk about competitors. Do you have any competitors that you think of your nemesis and you think, man, that was the greatest race ever when I got the opportunity to beat them? Shirley Muldowney, uh, Don Perdome were the, the fierce ones. Now, the one that I raced a lot was Tommy Idol, but that was a match race uh, special because he was such a showman. We didn't put on real, didn't make record runs because neither one of us was trying to win so much as we were trying to put on a good show for the people. But the Greek was a tough competitor, very, very tough, and he was the longest one. I mean, he, he just quit racing like a year ago. So you want to talk about tire technology? I mean, the, the tires you guys started off with and, and you know, really when people started more, you know, I guess, building more dedicated rubber, uh, what years would you say that that was? Well, the first record was set on Bruce Slicks, and they were the tire to have on your car in those days. And a friend of mine used M&H tires on his round track car. When I went to 176, he came out to the shop and looked at those recaps, and he says, Don, he said, you could throw a cap off here and kill you. He said, you need to try a set of these cruisers for round track cars. And I went up to Chester, South Carolina, and it just so happened that Marvin and Harry Rifkin, Harry was the dad, that's why it's M&H, yeah. were just thinking about maybe getting into drag racing. And here I showed up and then had low ET of the meat on a set of their cruisers that were made for round track cars. Boy, that's amazing. And thinking that you went that fast on that little of a tire, you know, today there's, you know, big tire racing, small tire racing drag radio race and all kinds of stuff. But back then, that took a lot of guts and a lot of stones, Don. I mean, that that is something else. That is flying. Yeah. That was the famous two black marks right through the lights. When you'd done that, you'd know you had a good run. So that, that was something else that I was, you know, kind of curious about. You know, as the cars go faster, you're probably, you know, trading weight for stability. And there were ratios of car like a slingshot would be like six to one or something like that. And then the car started growing in length. Can you tell us a little bit how that, how you kind of figured out how long the car had to be to keep settled down? We figured out early on that the wheelbase was important. The further the front wheels were away from the rear wheels, the more percentage of the car was on the rear wheels. And then front wheels wanted to lift. It didn't take near as much weight on those to hold it down. So a little bit of weight on the front was all you needed that you had that leverage so that's why uh they'd be even longer if it wasn't for the nhra he said that's it we don't want them any longer if okay. they were longer they'd actually be faster they are today well you you kind of point out something there that you know it, there, there are so many parts to building a race car we've talked a little bit about the nitro and we've talked a little bit about the rubber and and all that uh but you were big into aero as well i mean you had a lot of very advanced concept concepts i mean there's the the streamliner there's also you going out to bonneville which is a whole other thing but you know can you tell us about the you know aerodynamics when you started thinking about trying to push against the wind and uh, trading a little bit of weight to get some you know higher speeds down track when i was a boy scout i made several very aerodynamic little streamliners getting the aerodynamics merit badge so i always had that in my mind and uh the big streamliner was a little on the heavy side. That was a problem with that. It was just too heavy, and you gave up too much to start with. And then, of course, 34, where we took all that wing, that was very aerodynamic. The nice rudder on the back holding the wing up. That car, that 323 run, you know, picked up 65 miles an hour from the eighth to the end. More gain 
than any car had made at that point. Yeah, it, it's neat to think about, you know, having those advancements and, you know, having the wing on the front of the car to keep the nose down and probably thinking about how you had that trimmed out. Planes and aerodynamics have never been that disassociated with cars. I mean, even to this day, you know, we're, we still share a lot between those two things. So that's, that's pretty cool. Well, the first wing on the rear engine car, we ran that car for three or four events before we had a wing on the back of it. And uh, I went up and did a match race in Shuffletown with Ivo, and he outran me three straight. So we came back to Tampa, and we put a wing on the back, and the car picked up a full quarter of a second and 10 miles an hour. Plus, the car was much easier to drive. When we did that, there wasn't anything the slingshots could do to keep up. The disadvantage of the slingshot at that time was the driver was sitting in back of the rear tires, which he didn't need to be because the tires were nice and big and fat. And so we have the driver sitting in back of the rear tires, and then we have to put lead on the front to hold the front down. And you didn't have to do that with a engine car. You didn't need all the lead. The driver moved up front. He had better vision, better control of the car. And the car got a couple hundred pounds lighter. I mean, you think you can't beat a combination like that. So win, win, win. And then, you know, it wasn't just Hemi's either. You know, you're sticking helicopter turbine engines in the things. I mean, you weren't shy. And we're going to get into the other thing that you started doing in the 2017-18 timeframe with another power plant. But, you know, tell us about when you were, you know, messing around with the turbines. Well, I got, I was good friends with Craig Arfons, and he always thought the engine would be superior. And AHRA would allow us to use that turbine in top fuel. So we went to work on that, and the engines were about 2,200 horsepower with the alcohol water injector. But I don't think we ever got up to that kind of speed because it just didn't perform like wanted it to. And he worked with us quite a bit on the engine. I couldn't do anything with the engine. I didn't know that much about them. And so after a while, it, it, it didn't make any noise. That was another problem, that it was too quiet. And we never did really get the power that we were supposed to get. Interesting. Don, out of um, all the events and tracks that you've been at, what's the favorite event that you've had that you've won? And also, are there racetracks that are top of the list for you, the places that you love to go, the places you love to race? Can you talk about some of the places you've been and and not just in the U.S., because we know you've been really all over the world uh, throughout your career. Well, my favorite racetrack is Gainesville. It's got so much shutoff. You can actually not have a parachute open and you'd be fine there. But then Indianapolis, that's a special place. And, uh, you know, if you ask anybody if they had to pick one race a year that they would like to win, it would always be Indy. That, yeah. That'll never change. It, does, it doesn't have the shutoff that Gainesville's got, but it is a nice track, and I really love it. We hope you're enjoying the On All Cylinders podcast presented by Summit Racing. We'll get back to the interview in just 60 seconds, but after the show's over, check out summitracing.com. Whether you're restoring a vintage classic, building a tire shredding hot rod, outfitting a rough and tough off-roader, or just keeping your daily driver running strong, you'll find the parts and tools you need to get it done at summitracing.com. Wheels, tires, paint and body, brakes, exhaust, engine parts, summitracing.com has everything you need for anything you drive. 
all backed by blazing fast shipping and the best customer service in the industry. And ordering couldn't be easier, either via phone, online, or the Summit Racing mobile app. Need help with your project? Call Summit Racing's tech support team, and they'll be able to answer questions and recommend the right parts for your ride. That's summitracing.com. Now, back to the On All Cylinders podcast. Don, let's talk. You, you mentioned earlier about the turbine engine car, and it reminded me about something that you've been involved with when you said that the crowd at match races didn't like it because it didn't make noise. And that would be the EV dragster project that you've worked on. Um, you know, at Summit, we've actually begun to do some, uh, some investigating and researching into the EV car market because we see it growing and we think it's going to be growing for sure. And uh, your history with it and the dragster uh, can you talk a little bit about that that project and if you foresee doing anything more with that in the future? They are here and they're going to stay here. thing about it is, you know, an internal combustion engine is real clean when it's brand new. And then as it wears, it gets a little more pollution, but it's just still running real good. But uh, the cities will be first the, to be all electric. There will be more and more electric cars. And uh, I got into it kind of as a quirk because Daryl Gwynn and I did some match races with basically just glorified golf carts that looked like dragsters. They only went 30 miles an hour. But I always wondered just how fast you could actually go. So I said, how fast do you think we could go if we took the gloves off? He said he thought we could go 200 miles an hour. So that excited me because here was something I could get into, make changes, and I didn't have to stick to such strict rules. But right. uh, I did build Swamp Rat 37 that held the record at 85.6, uh, 7.25 seconds. Then the, the coronavirus hit and we had all kinds of trouble. We just quit kind of working on it. The battery technology changing. And I would really like to have the, the new batteries for Swamp Rat 38. But uh, I don't know how soon that new technology will be available for just anybody. It's... Uh, it's really trick, you know, the the charging, it's a whole new world out there, this electric vehicle. Yeah, I mean, we, we agree with you. It's like, you know, when you went with the turbine engine, for instance, you know, over the first time you stuck, you know, that load of nitro in the thing, uh, you know, you have to learn uh, a lot about, you know, it's, you're, you're a guy that likes to learn. You like to do things through learning. Uh, and that's something that a lot of people may never get. But when they ask you why you're going electric, it's, it's like, it's new. It's something I haven't done before. It's fascinating. You know, so if people wonder why sometimes just because, well, it's like I wanted to learn about something else, you know, figure out what makes the motor do, do what it does, the motor controllers, the battery. And so that's all the excuse a guy like you needs uh, to go out there and, and try different things. Well, there's a little trivia here that you probably don't know. My father was on the team that invented the electric iron and the electric fan. Huh. So you got a long history with electric uh, variety of things, right, Don? So this is just natural. Yeah, he, he's up there just smiling about all this stuff. If the light bulb wasn't burning, he screwed the light bulb out of the socket, put his finger, wet the end of his finger, and stuck it up in the socket to see if there was electricity up there. <laughs> all right. So, so here's another question. You've been out to Bonneville. Uh, you know, and you had to be looking at, you know, those guys out there on the salt and, you know, the streamliners where, you know, it's all about frontal area and stuff, stuff. And I knew that you love that stuff. So you, you built your car to go, you know, you build a car to go do that. You didn't buy a car. You didn't whatever. I mean, you just, you build a car to go do, 
that. Can you tell us, I mean, what, what made you decide to go do Bonneville uh, at a certain point? I got in touch with a couple of people that uh, Bill Smith, he, he, he paid a lot of the money to help me with it to come out there. He was a dear friend of mine. And it was a big team. There was a lot of guys involved in that. And it was uh, went over 200, 217 miles an hour. And it was a real thrill to drive down that Bonneville track. The one run, I didn't even want to shut off. I just kept driving. It was going faster, you know. And right. Plenty of room. And they, they fussed at me about that. <laughs> so, so what is that like, you know, because, you know, we, we worship these engines, you know, the flathead and the heavy and all that stuff. And you were there for the first go around of these engines. And, you know, it, it's kind of funny to think about you still going out there and, and building something, you know, I, I don't know how much the technology, I'm not a flathead specialist, but, you know, what is it like building those engines that you've been around all your life and they're still here? You know, I have a whole lot of them in my shop that run. I, in fact, I just run a bunch of them this morning. I have all that kind of stuff there on run stands and I take my friends back there and sometimes on private tours. So we have a question from Mopar Man. He said, "Can a question for Don, what was it like racing the surfers crew back in the day? I only ever raced the surfers once. Uh, they were a really nice group of kids. They were youngsters, and, uh, and they just ran 100% nitro all the time. They, they made some awesome runs, and uh, they're almost like urban lore, you know, the, the, the stories about them. They're of legends. That's so fill, really Fill cool. the tank up and send it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Don, let's talk about your museum. So a, re a real quick story, and I don't know if you remember this, but... Years ago, I worked for a company called Stainless Works. And one day, uh, our phone sales guy was really busy and the phones were ringing like crazy. So I grabbed the phone and the fellow on the other end of the line says, hey, do you make weld up header kits for, uh, for Hemis? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we can help you with that. And he said, okay, uh, do you have it for 392? Do you have all the pipes? And I said, yeah, yeah, we could sell you a Zoomy kit. And he said, well, I'm working on a project uh, at this museum and can you, can you get them shipped out today? And I said, yeah, I, I think we can get all that done for you. And I said, where are we shipping it to? And you said, well, my name's Don Garlitz. <laughs> and uh, it's to my museum. And I said, wait a minute, the, the Don Garlitz? Right. And you just very matter-of-factly and humbly said, yeah, yeah, that's me. And I said, oh, my gosh. And I was just blown away because ever since I was a kid, Don, I watched you racing, and it was the coolest thing at that time. You said, hey, if you guys are down here for the PRI show, come on by the museum. And we'll, we'll show you around. We'll show you everything. So Scott Harrison, my salesperson at the time, he and I went to PRI and then we went to museum. And if anybody is ever in that area, and it's been a while ago, I need to get down there at some point because I'm yeah, sure it's both. changed a lot. Yeah. yeah, road trip. Let's go. Let's go. But we uh, we go down there and we, we walked around the museum. You showed us around. You treated us like family. And the place was amazing. If somebody even thinks they kind of sort of might like drag racing, go to the museum because you'll leave liking drag racing because there is so much stuff there and so much history. It is a phenomenal place. Can you tell us about the history of the museum, how you started it? How, how'd you do this? It's just amazing. Well, I tell you, I had a lot of help from my friends and the man upstairs. There's cars that we retrieved that were on their way to the scrap pile, and we found out about it and got it stopped. My wife and I traveling in England in 1976, visiting the English Car Museum. We were so impressed with how they'd saved everything. I said, God, we ought to have a drag racing museum. And so 
my wife and I came back to Florida and we built one. We had it for six years in Sefner and had no visitors. One day she says, what are we going to do with this when you don't race anymore and can't support it? We thought it was going to be something that was going to be supporting us. Instead of that, we're supporting it. We moved it to Ocala, to this location where it's at now, been here for 36 years, and it does well. We always have a lot of visitors every year, and we're able to, we built more buildings, and uh, we are a nonprofit, so that's good. I'm looking at the pictures right now, and they're just absolutely gorgeous, the machinery in there, just amazing. I, I enjoy going in there myself. That's where all the drag racing started for me, those early Fords, you know. And we got all of them. We we got almost every one of the early Fords. And the, some of those cars have really stories behind them. Low mileage cars. I got a 49 Ford in there with 6,000 original miles. And you've got one of those that does 135 miles an hour. Which one is that one? That'd have to be the one, the my 39 with the Hemi engine in it. That's the one. I mean, this thing's like, I can't even believe it, you know, because that, that's yeah. flying, you know? Yeah, if... If you're brave enough to drive it that fast. Now, see, <laughs> when awesome. I was young, it didn't make any difference. I didn't care. Now I realize, you know, something could happen to a tire or something. Yeah, and that's yeah. not such a lightweight engine in that car either. That's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, well, Don, that's a great place. And thank you for being the steward of that. And again, if anybody's ever in Florida, you've got to make a trip to the Don Garlds Museum. It is just a magical place. So much cool automotive history and memorabilia. Again, you will love it, and uh, I, I can promise you that. So go there and visit, buy some parts from Summit, and uh, you'll have a good day. I do want to get on, Don, to the questions, because we asked customers for some questions, and we asked our employees for some questions, too. So we've got some really good ones. Um, so Jerry Smith asks, what's going to be your next chapter in your life? Is there any more racing of any kind? And uh, he mentions one of his biggest thrills was racing at E-Town the night you raced Shirley for the last time there. So everybody's got great memories of seeing you race and the things you did. Do you think you're, are you planning to do much more racing or are you going to, going to, uh, well, what's on the plan? Well, I, I plan to uh, continue this electric car program and uh, there is some plans in the works, maybe building an electric car that would have to reach 250 miles an hour. That's in the back of my head. So that's that's the plan for the future. And that English town race, I remember it well. I won that race. That is really awesome. Uh, another customer, Danny Grissom, asks, are there any plans for the Smithsonian to bring out Swamp Wrap 30 for display anytime soon? It, uh, how about that? I, I've been to the Smithsonian, but I don't recall seeing it. I'm not sure if they're going to, they rotate. I know they do that because they have so much content, so many things out there. Have you heard anything about that, Don, or can you give us any update yeah, on that? Yeah, I can tell you all about that. Well, they were supposed to have the opening the Smithsonian Motorsports Museum, but it got put in the back shelf for a couple of reasons. There were some things they wanted to do show more stuff about the black community and some of their contributions to society. And so that put ahead of this museum. We think that it's going to open in 2022 and it will be a complete motorsports museum. Swamp Rat 30 will be on permanent display there. That is fantastic. Glad to hear that, Don. That is, that is awesome. Uh, Sherry Swisher asked a question, Don. 
about uh, what speed innovation that you came up with that made the greatest performance gain. What would be that one thing when you look back on all the different things you've tried and tested over the years? What's the biggest thing? You mentioned arrow earlier, and maybe that's maybe that is it. But or the fuel, the or the fuel, yeah, and the injectors. What What are your thoughts on that? Well, the fuel always is, you know, the volume of the fuel. But I always remember weighing on throwing for at fourteen and and just going right up 10 miles an hour with and of course it got faster as we learned how to use that wing everything just worked perfect it also gave the car a nice look i'd always say that wing was a great innovation so one other question don uh peewee miller asked is it true the engine blew up in the swamp rat one or one of the early cars you pulled the engine out of your tow vehicle put it in the dragster, and uh, it either went faster or you won the race, one of the two. <laughs> it wasn't a tow vehicle. It was our one of our support cars. My wife and I had a 392 Imperial Coupe, and we blew the engine at one of the tracks, and so we went to the garage, pulled the engine, and this is when we ran just a stock block with stock bore. It would have done had cracked a main and put the new assembly into the Imperial engine and went back and won the race. And then, of course, then we had to get an engine for the Imperial to get home. That's awesome. That is so cool. Uh, Don, Bob Arnold asks a question. After a life of racing and all kinds of different uh, engineering, motorsports, autosports developments, are there any regrets that you have? Anything you, you can look back on? Well, you know, there's a lot of things you could you'd look back on. You're know, like, you know, I'd be afraid to go back and change anything like that because, you know, look at the, the change that it made in the sport and the lives that it saved. You'd be, you, you can't mess with anything like that, but you can't do much about it. It's just life. Well, the safety improvements, Don, the innovations that you made as a result of that, that is, uh, that's definitely that case of making lemonade out of lemons for sure. You know, I mean, it's just awesome that yeah, thank you. the approach you took to that and you figured out, Hey, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to make it better. And, uh, and we're all appreciative for that for sure. So yeah, the fire I'm, brought all, all the fire suits and all the gloves and all the good fire equipment. It was great. You know, Well, we're going to have to meet up soon. I, I'm definitely really wanting to head down to the track here pretty quick. It's a good time of the year for it right now too. Dom, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you're a fantastic guest. You're a great ambassador of the sport, just a, a great American success story. And it's it's an honor and, and a privilege for us to talk to you today. Brian and I cannot thank you enough. Well, we're, we're I'm so happy to see that you're getting to some of the electric car stuff because that's something of the future for sure. There's no way we can change it. And this is a time to get involved while it's all young and, and on the ground floor. And we'll have to talk about that after the show. <laughs> yeah, we we will do that, Don, for sure. We'll we'll talk more with you about that because it's it's been an interesting adventure so far, and uh, you know we uh, we've got some interesting stuff we're working on. So we'll we'll talk with you about that. Thank you so much, Don. Awesome. Have a great day. Hey, had a great time, guys. Thank you. Summit customers, again, thank you for joining thank us. You we for appreciate us, everybody. it. Go out and enjoy your cars. This has been the On All Cylinders podcast. Presented by Summit Racing. Check out new episodes coming soon at onallcylinders.com. Onallcylinders.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.